you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, I'm talking to Nadia Oduayo, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I'm sorry. I'm terrible with names. Um, I remember the first time Saran Yabarak was on, she told me how to say her name and then I totally messed it up like two minutes later. So, <laughs> Well, no, you did. You did a pretty good job. Awesome. Um, so you were on episode 264 of Ruby Rogues talking about code hospitality, which I think came out of a talk you gave. Yeah. It was a talk I was giving a couple of years ago uh-huh. all around like, how best to work on software teams when you've got people with very different skill experience. Yeah. And then you were also doing a podcast with Saran for a little while, the Ruby Book Club. But it looks like you've stopped doing that. Yes, we've stopped doing that. So we did that for two and a bit, almost three years. And then we were both quite busy with other commitments and it didn't make sense amongst all that we were doing. So we decided to put it on hold for now. Awesome. Well... It was a great show when it was on, but uh, yeah, I'm always sad when shows shut down because I'm like, it was so good. Oh, thank you. Um, and yeah, maybe I'll talk about it a bit more later on in the show if we get to it. Yeah, I think I think we'll dive into that and a few other things. But yeah, I, I love just kind of getting the idea of how people got into code and what they've done with it and what what paths they followed because not everybody follows the same path. And I think a lot of people have this idea that, oh, we, we all get our computer science degree and then we all go work for a big company and we switch jobs a couple of times and then we retire. And I just don't think that's the norm anymore. So I, I kind of want to highlight where you came from. So how, how did you get into programming? So I only realized this later when I started seriously learning programming, but my first experience of programming, and I think a few people have this, well, more than a few, uh, was using Neopets. And so I used, to, I used to design pages for guilds, and so that must have involved uh-huh. some HTML and CSS. And then I had this experience where I launched a creative writing publication while at university, and I had no technical skills. And I found that really frustrating because I had to rely on other people to help me out, and the pace of change was really slow. I'd always thought that I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. And so when I was going for, through this application process for Game Called Entrepreneur First here in the UK, one of the founders of it said, sounds like you should learn how to code. And so that's when I started researching. So this was in my final year of university. 
by the way, I was studying philosophy, politics, and economics, so nothing to do with computer science. <laughs> nice. And I was, I was on my way into investment banking, so uh-huh. very different. And um, so then I started looking into this code thing because I had all these ideas, but I didn't know how to put them into action. And I did eventually apply for this entrepreneurship scheme. And it was also the same year when they were starting a new initiative called Code First Girls. So it was all about getting more women into tech. Mm -hmm. And so I also applied for that at the same time. And I ended up getting a place on that first course. And then just before I started that course, I saw a competition to win a, a fully paid place at a boot camp called Makers Academy, which is based here in London. And so I applied for that competition. And so I ended up getting the place on Code First Girls. And then I went straight into the 12 week boot camp. And that's how I got stuck into programming. Wow. That, that's quite the story. <laughs> yeah. So, it's... Have you done much with your degree in politics, economics, and philosophy? <laughs> So I guess the the politics and philosophy, not much. Um, I still enjoy reading about all of, those, mm-hmm. all of those things and keeping up to date with current affairs and seeing how things apply. But the economics, yes, because when I got into public speaking, actually my first talk, because I was a junior Ruby developer then, and I didn't really know... I struggled to come up with something in Ruby to talk about that I felt excited about that wasn't just my experiences as a junior developer. And so I was like, well, what do I know about that a lot of people may not know about within the Ruby world? And so I thought, ooh, maybe economics and game theory. And so actually my first talk on the Ruby conference circuit was around game theory. So that, was, that's, that helped me out. And then, of course, I've been doing a lot of entrepreneurial things um, and business things. And so just having that, having had that, education around some form of business models and markets can can always be helpful. And besides, I think economics, the main thing that's interesting about economics is just the behavior of people. And so Uh I think that can apply whatever you go into, whether you're in a workplace scenario or just dealing with your personal relationships. So I I think economics is always helpful. Yeah, I've heard a few economists, basically, you know, somebody will say something about economics being how money moves and they're like, no, it's how everything works. Yeah, it's more around how people behave I yeah. Think, yeah. than how money moves. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. So was Ruby then your first programming language? Yes, yeah, so I didn't really have a choice in that way. So uh-huh. the Code First Girls program, we started the first few weeks with HTML, CSS, and then we went into Ruby, and then we went into Rails by the end. And it was actually pretty funny because when we were introduced to the front-end stuff, everyone was like, oh, I get what this is. It's making pages look nicer, look pretty. Uh-huh. And then I remember when we were introduced to Ruby and we, we were doing lots of like IRB maths and things like that. And we were struggling to work out, wait, why is this useful? And then when we started building <laughs> web apps and stuff, we were like, oh, backend, this is very powerful. So I, I just remember going through that whole experience of how does Ruby fit into all this? And then understanding like the power of knowing a backend language. Yep. And it was pretty funny because I remember I got close with the, the teacher of that course. Um, he became a, a friend of mine. And I remember him saying to me, because because the course that I was in was the first run of that course. And he was saying, oh, um, I think next time I do the course, I'm going to jump straight to Rails and not do the Ruby bit. And I remember saying like, no, because although it was a struggle at first to make it seem relevant until we got to the web development side, once you did get to the web development side and you had an understanding of the language behind it, that can help with things like debugging and stuff like that. So I, I, I sort of suggested, no, keep that 
bit that where you just focus on Ruby without any web framework. Right. That's awesome. So how long was the program again? So the Code First Girls was a couple of months in the summer, but it was only two evenings a, uh-huh. a week. And then the boot camp was 12 weeks. Gotcha. Every day. Very well, good. Monday to Friday, but you know, we did, we did, we had challenges for the weekend. Yep. It's, it's interesting you mentioned the, you know, learning Ruby first, because I think most people that I've talked to, when they got into Ruby, they learned Rails first and then picked up Ruby and figured out, oh, this, the, the way that you inherit from Active Record Base or, you know, how they pull in some of these mechanisms, that's all Ruby that does that work. It's the way the language works. Yeah, I think in both of the courses I did, we had an element of Ruby first without Rails. So even in the boot camp, and, mm-hmm. and I really do appreciate this now, we started with just Ruby. So we did weeks of like Ruby exercises without any web uh-huh. framework at all. And then we went into Sinatra. So we did Sinatra for a couple of weeks. Oh, nice. And then we went into Rails. So I, I really like that progression because it's like, rather than starting with Rails where you don't see just how much is done for you and what's abstracted away. You can, you can build up to that abstraction and have more of a sense of the understanding of what's tying it all together. Yep. I still think even, even at the end of the bootcamp, Rails still seems like a lot of like magic. And it's only now like years in. So I did my bootcamp. It's September 2013. So what, coming up to five years. It's only even now as I read more about Ruby internals and I, I, I've experienced other languages that I realize just how much Rails does behind the scenes. Yeah. And also just how much Ruby as a dynamic language does behind the scenes. And that is really amazing. Yeah, that's totally true. And I, yeah, I like the progression as well, mainly because Sinatra only has a couple of moving parts, right? You can kind of see all the gears turn and then you can go, you know, hit Ruby and go, this is a V8 engine and I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I you know, I, I can see that it moves. So, yeah, I think a really interesting exercise that I've done a couple of times over the last few years is follow like a build your own Sinatra tutorial. Because, uh-huh. as you said, there's there's actually only a few moving parts that make up um, Sinatra, and so it's really just interesting seeing like how the middleware calls are put together and actually understanding you know what middleware is and what it does and this concept of like a web server and how that all relates. So, I think it's a really useful exercise to. Um, search for a how to build your own Sinatra tutorial and just go through it. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. There are also a few how to build your own Rails tutorials out there that kind of explain some of the magic as well. Yeah. So do you feel like after doing the Code First Girls, is that is that what it was called? And mm-hmm. then the bootcamp, do you feel like that really prepared you to be a full-time Ruby developer? Or were there other things that you had to do on your own to make up the difference? Yeah, so I remember that for a long time, I knew I wanted to be, I knew I had this feeling of wanting to run my own thing. Mm -hmm. And initially, I remember even thinking to myself, I don't want to be a developer full time. I think doing this coding thing is useful for me because when I work with developers, I'll know how to communicate with them. And it was only when I started doing the course that I realized, well, one, I realized that I really enjoyed it. And so there was a potential um, career there. But the other thing that I realized was that doing these courses only scratches the surface of all the stuff that you need to know. And I had these visions of maybe I'll do some freelancing on the side of like starting up my 
like my side project or whatever. And then I realized coming up to the end of the course that I had not enough confidence to, to, to do that. And that I wanted to go into a company and work for a bit. And that was very scary. Um, a lot of people in the course, you know, you feel like, oh, yes, I've worked really hard for the last 12 weeks, but that just gives you a solid foundation to be a junior developer as opposed to saying, I am a junior developer. I mean, and I shouldn't speak for everyone. Everyone's different. But from my perspective, I very much felt like, whoa, I have a load more learning to do and I need to find the company that will support me in continuing my learning. That makes sense. So how did, how did you find a company that would support your learning then? Well, it was kind of accidental because the, the company that I ended up working at was Pivotal Labs. Oh, and yeah. the reason why I say it was accidental was because what happened was there was this, there's this job fair that they do in London that's really popular for getting tech jobs called uh-huh. Silicon Rock Roundabout. And I was not very enthused about this idea of aimlessly wandering around. And so I had, the, the evening before, I'd gone through all the companies and just written a list of five that I wanted to speak to. And it was in alphabetical order. Pivotal was at the end. And I'd done the first four and then I got tired. So I thought, I'm going to go home. And on trying to find my way out, I passed the Pivotal stand and saw it was empty. So I just decided to talk to them. And I had a good chat with the recruiting person and the, the guy who was the current boss of the London office, J.B. Stedman. And... And then when I went back to Makers Academy and told them, oh, I I chatted to this company, this company and Pivotal, like it was just part of a list. They were like, oh, oh my gosh, Pivotal, that's great because you know how we do TDD here. You Uh know how we do pairing, all that, all those like the communication things, the stand-up, that's all based on, that's all modeled on Pivotal. So it would be the perfect next step for you. So (laughs) I I sort of accidentally found the perfect next step for me because you know, pivotal pairs all the time. Mm-hmm. They're, they're very much into their test-driven development, and so it felt like it felt like finishing my boot camp and then going into like okay, advanced advanced level <laughs> and working with clients on production projects. Yeah, and, and I think Pivotal just went public. I think they just had an IPO like last month. Yes, they did just uh, just a few weeks ago. Very cool. So you're not yeah, still there. You're not rich now, right? Well, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I think it's interesting watching these companies go public. Another one that went public that I've been watching is Pluralsight. So. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting for me because when I joined the Pivotal office, and I think this is another way that I was lucky, the London office had just started you know, maybe around a year ago or less than a year ago. And Uh so it was very small in London. Of course, they had a big presence in San Francisco, in New York, but the London office perhaps had 10 engineers. I was like the 10th or something like that. And so it was very small. And so it's just very interesting seeing it now because I'm still close to Pivotal. The last company that I ran was like a partner of Pivotal's. Mm -hmm. And so I'm still very much you know, I, I go into the office regularly and it's just been fascinating seeing the London presence grow from like 10 people to like, you know, a multi-floor office now and seeing all the different roles that they've hired and, and all the different, and all the different uh, variety of clients that, that Pivotal uh, supports. Yeah. So are you still at Pivotal then or are you onto something else now? So I left Pivotal two and a bit years ago with uh-huh. another pivot and we started a company called Ignition Works. So his name is Theo Cushion and we spent 
two and a bit years alternating between doing consulting gigs, just the two of us, and also trying our hand at product development. Uh-huh. So we did a few tools, none of them took off, but we had fun, we learned a lot. And I recently made the decision to leave to try something new. And I'm actually interestingly collaborating with Saron. So we're just working together, trying out a few ideas. It's incredibly early stages. So we have nothing right. to, to share yet, but we're just, we, 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 we've become really good friends through getting to know each other through the Ruby community. Mm-hmm. And and we've always been just, you know, talking about ideas and things like that. So we're just at very early stages um, collaborating on stuff. And hopefully we had something cool to share in, in, in some months. Yeah, I, I have to say, I mean, doing the podcast as much as I do, I sometimes wish I could, <laughs> I could go work. I, I just think it'd be fun to work with people like you or Saran or, you know, some, some of the other folks that I've met in the Ruby community and just just sit down and just crank some code out and brainstorm some ideas and just, yeah, see how that goes. So I'm bet I'm betting you guys are having an absolute blast. It is so fun. Do you, do you have any time to like code on the side or anything like that? Uh, I do some, I have a system that I'm working on that helps manage the podcasts. And so, you know, I, it, it looks like a SAS and it quacks like a SAS. <laughs> it's not ready to be released. So, okay. Anyway, cool. I, I usually code on that. So, you know, it's like, oh, I need to fix this. Or, man, this would be a lot easier if it did this differently. And yeah, so I, I do. But yeah, I'm I'm afraid I'm probably going to wind up hiring out some of the coding though. So, but Yeah, but that means you, like, it could still um, end up being something, which is cool. Yeah. Well, even if it's just what I need, it's still worth it. Definitely. Long, I think so. Anyway, so what have you done in the Ruby community that you're really proud of? So the main thing that I'm really proud of, I think, is my contribution to conferences. Mm-hmm. So both speaking and being on committee. So I've spoken at a few uh, Ruby comps and Rails comps. And I like that each of... So I've done four talks now. And I like that each of them are have brought something different to the Ruby community. So I mentioned right. the game theory one before. I like that in a Ruby conference, I was able to bring something different just to make people in the Ruby space just think about another topic and maybe think about how that could impl- apply to things that they're dealing with day to day. And then I've done a couple focusing on the non-technical, so code hospitality. And then I also did one on non-violent communication. So that's all around, you know, how do you actually make strong teams and enjoyable teams to work on, sorting out the communication, um, Mm -hmm. making sure that your code base and your place where you work is welcoming to, to new people or people who have, you know, come from a different environment, different perspective. So the, the, that I was really glad to be able to give back to the Ruby community on that front. And I've heard such amazing stories from people who, you know, um, related to something I'd said or gone away and tried something. Uh, so that, that's been amazing. And then finally, for, I finally got like a Ruby technical talk, which I, I, I gave it for the first time a, a, a couple of months ago in, in Bath here. And it's called uh, The Case of the Missing Method, a Ruby mystery story. And essentially, I play a Ruby private investigator. And um, I've got to help a client with a really time-sensitive case get to the bottom of a method lookup mystery. And so I tell it in the story, it's good fun. And it's also informative as well, which is the feedback I've had. And so I'm looking to give that a few more conferences and meetups this year. So, so that's that side. And then there's also being on committee. So I, I think I've checked, I've been on the panel for a couple of Ruby comps now. So, um, reading all the proposals, um, and I've made a big effort to give feedback to 
um, submitters where I can. So I've been on two really strong panels where we've tried to respond to everybody so that they hear from at least one person. Because I know the hardest thing sometimes is when you submit a proposal and you don't hear anything. So you have no idea where to go with that or not. And so, um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed being able to give back in that, in that sense. So yeah, those are, that's the speaking side, the conference side. And then I guess the other thing is the, the Ruby book club podcast. So while it was going on, so that was Saron and I every week for, um, two and a bit years, we worked through Ruby books um, and we, you know, we did it section by section or an hour of reading a week and we discussed it back and forth. Uh, we worked through things we didn't understand and we built up a really uh, nice Twitter community of people who followed us week by week or people who caught up later. And we discussed things like um, Avdi's, Avdi Grimm's Confident Ruby, um, Sandy Metz, Katrina Owens, 99 Bottles. We did a bit of refactoring Ruby. And then we also did um, Ruby under a microscope. And so we got a really good breadth of, of topics. And actually, you know, Pat Shaughnessy's Ruby under a microscope was the inspiration for my new conference talk as well. So I, I, I like to think that with the Ruby Book Club podcast, that contributed to the to the learning and the advancement the advancement and encouragement of learning within the ruby community awesome yeah that's awesome and i love highlighting these books and you've picked some solid ones so that's awesome i need to write a ruby book and then i'll get you guys to start the podcast up again or something i don't know you never know we might <laughs> <laughs> yeah. very cool so so what are you working on now so apart from, like I said, just experiment early stages, working with Saron and collaborating on a few different ideas, um, nothing to share on that just now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also really excited about an open source project that I started. Uh, did I start it maybe a year ago? I'm not sure. But it's called SpeakLine. And essentially what it is, is at the moment, it's a library of conference proposals showing from real people, showing where they've been um, accepted and rejected. And but but the whole point of the SpeakerLine website and project is to demystify the CFP process for people because oh, yeah. there is there are a lot of people who want to get into speaking and they're they're just like how do I crack it and I was very lucky that I had people around me um, JB Stedman who gave me a connection to Sarah May who helped me understand you know here's how you can write a proposal and gave me the confidence to even apply and. I'm lucky that, yeah, I, I, I knew how to write a proposal. I had support writing a really effective proposal. And a lot of people might not have people around them who know how to write proposals. And so, yeah, the point of the, the site is to show, look, here are a range of proposals that got accepted and rejected. Um, and at the moment, it's very, it's very straightforward. But I want it to grow into this, this bank of like more like rich information around why, maybe from the speakers, around why a talk maybe didn't get accepted, what the feedback was, and then hopefully people can look at different events and see okay these are the kind of themes people are talking about um start to understand why a pro proposal might get um accepted or rejected and also hopefully see that new first-time speakers can speak at big conferences or smaller conferences it's, it's not that like you have to start small and then work your way up so for example my my first conference was called was at, was at RailsConf in 2015. And since then, I've had so many people talk to me who see me as a speaker and say, oh, I want to get into speaking, but, you know, I guess I have to start small. And, <laughs> and the reason why the, the app 
is called speaker line is because my vision is that eventually for each speaker, you can see their timeline and you can see, oh, they actually started at this event. And then, and, mm-hmm. and that was RailsConf. So maybe I could start a RailsConf for, you know, and maybe connect with speakers and find out more about their, their journeys. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So is that somewhere where people can go look at it or is it still a work in progress? No. So the the site is up. That's at speakerline.io and you can contribute to the repo. It's, I've got some open issues and also I'm also trying to figure out the direction so you can get involved in that discussion as well. And that's at github.com and .io slash speakerline. And I'm sure we'll share the the link via show notes. All right. Cool. Yeah, definitely put it in the, the chat in Zoom and we'll get a link to it. Fantastic. All right. Well, the last part of the show is picks. Do you have some things that you want to shout out about? For you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf. Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. So I do have some picks. The first one is a book. It's called Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. So nonviolent communication is this framework for how we can honestly express feelings but also have productive conversations. So one of the things is there's often things that happen. We struggle as humans to express how we feel, to actually express feelings. And we we struggle to talk about what we need. And so we often end up blaming people and shirking away from responsibility. So this book is amazing. It talks all about so many different scenarios from just like personal relationships to political conflicts between countries. And it just introduces the nonviolent communication framework, which in its simplest levels is talk about your feelings, then talk about the needs in play. So the needs you have, and then talk about a request you have. So that's that's it at its most basic level. So you're introduced to that and you're shown many different case studies. And I think that, I honestly think if everyone knew a bit about nonviolent communication and applied it to difficult conversations every day, like everyone would be a lot happier. And so I recommend that book. Very cool. The second pick is an online simulation slash game. It's by someone called Nikki Case. They make these interactive web games. And so this one that I want to recommend is called The Evolution of Trust. And it's all about like game theory, but you step through all these interactions and it teaches you like why and how we trust people. And also just, it's just a huge commentary on like, why we some there's all these tensions sometimes and why things seem more difficult than they are and how we should think about trust in our day-to-day interactions and so it's around 30 minute playtime it's really fun the animations are great you can there's a sandbox to play around with all the different um levers of like the the game sticks and things like that and so and it's, it's got this great story running through it so i recommend you check out that 
Mm. And then finally, I've been listening to the Work Life podcast by Adam Grant. So he is an organizational psychologist and he's been going into different workplaces, like everything from The Daily Show to like basketball teams to more normal, regular workplaces. And just looking at a different facet of work life each episode. So there's things on creativity, there's things on how to learn to love criticism, um, things like that. So I found it really interesting seeing how different people in different industries deal with these things. And I think there's a lot that we can learn in software for um, having like healthy and happier workplaces. So I recommend that podcast as well. Very cool. That sounds really interesting. I just love all the like seeing how people are people. <laughs> yeah. That's like just the general theme yeah. <laughs> of everything. All my picks. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's, and that's kind of what I want to do on this show too, is just, we talk about the technology and we fail to talk about the people sometimes. And it's, Hey, you know, Nadia came up through something similar to the way somebody else did. And, Oh, she figured this thing out and I've been struggling with that. Or, you know what, she's just a human being like I am. And I, you know, so I put her up on this pedestal, but it turns out that I could go speak at conferences like she did or something like that. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, that, that's one of the things that I've really been uh, focused on. So I'm going to throw out a few picks myself. So one of the first things that uh, I want to pick, and, and this just, I hate when I pick something I can't link to, but I can't link to it. So <laughs> um, yeah, I've been working on my yard lately. We've lived here for eight years and we have just been fighting the weeds in our yard. It's been awful. And what I found is that a lot of my neighbors are totally willing to help. And mm -hmm. so my pick is mostly just being willing to get some help. If you yeah. are trying to do something hard, something you don't know much about. Um, I'm amazed I have not killed the trees in my yard, for example. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, you go, go get some help, go talk to people and just see what what they're doing and what's working for them and get some advice. One of my neighbors is, he's like way into this uh, yard upkeep stuff. And so he came over and, you know, we walked through the yard. Yeah, you could do this. You could do this. And, oh, we have this other neighbor that can help you with this stuff. And then he came back over in the evening and helped me prune my trees. Because I had Amazing. no idea, right? You know, so he was here for 20 minutes and we cut a whole bunch of crap out of my trees. And they look amazing now. And so I'm just going to pick that. The other thing that I'm going to pick, and this is something that I do with my kids, they have these um, boxes that they send every month. So everybody is pretty aware at this point of that business model, right? You get a box of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I get one full of uh, geek culture stuff from lootcrate.com. Um, but we got these for our kids. So we got the Tinker Crate and the Kiwi Crate, I think is the other one they call it. And they just have little science projects in them. And it's been pretty fun to just work through those. So they, I mean, we've built little catapults and air rockets and I mean, all kinds of stuff. And it's just a ton of fun. So if you have kids and you're looking for something to do with them along the lines of uh, STEM, then definitely check that out. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, but anyway, so one last question for you. If people want to find you online and see what you're working on these days, I'm assuming you're on Twitter and GitHub. Um, I don't know if you have a blog or anything else, but do you want to tell people where all that stuff is? Yeah, so Twitter is a good way to get in touch with me. I'm at N-O-D-U-N-A-Y-O. N -O -D -U -N -A -Y -O, and my GitHub handle is also the same. So you can check out SpeakerLine there. 
Uh, I have a website, NadiaOdoia.com. Uh, I blog there. I also post on Medium as well. So you might see me sharing some links to those on my Twitter. Very cool. Well, thank you for coming and sharing with us. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up and we'll have another story next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.